0: Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Barton W. Stone was a Presbyterian minister on the frontier of Kentucky. As a minister, his job, one of his jobs, was to police people's beliefs and their life actions. If they believed the right things, if they weren't caught doing anything bad, they were given a coin. A coin that was their access to the communion table. When they came forward for communion on Sunday, they would present the coin and they would receive the bread and the wine. During those days, the early 1800s, revival was breaking out on the frontier and Barton Stone's little church in Cane Ridge, Kentucky became the host church for what would become the largest camp meeting revival in American history. Estimates of up to 20,000 people filled into the land surrounding this little church with people and preachers from many different Christian Christian traditions. And there, Barton saw Christianity in all its diversity. There were Holy Spirit exercises. He writes about it in his autobiography. People falling on the ground, speaking in tongues, some even barking. All right, each to his own. The ministers from different traditions would teach different things, different doctrines, different beliefs, different ways of being baptized. And on Sunday, on Sunday, all these people gathered, these different traditions stopped and had communion. No coins. Just communion in the midst of the diversity everyone shared in the table of Christ. And this experience had a profound impact on Barton Stone. Seeing this diversity, his world began to open wider and wider. It was three years later that he and his colleagues would write the last will and testament of the Springfield Presbytery, the founding document of our own tradition, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. And they willed, in that document, like the last will and testament, that their church die and dissolve into the body of Christ at large, that they would get rid of all divisive names, all divisions, and become one church. He had experienced it at Cain Ridge, and he wanted it to be real in the life of his church, a, a thirst. For Christian unity in an open communion table and seeing the way that God was at work in the world among people of different traditions and different faiths, Barton Stone woke up and he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Sarah Miles was an atheist. She was raised by atheists, a thoroughbred. She was a journalist. She was a lesbian. She was super liberal. And she saw Christianity as nothing but a group of nut jobs. And then one Sunday, she lives in San Francisco. She's walking around her home on a Sunday morning. And she passes the St. Gregory's Episcopal Church. And for some reason, she becomes curious. I'm a reporter, she says. I'm curious. I like to poke my nose in places. And I walk into this building thinking, huh, I wonder what's going on in there. And inside, she finds a church service already in progress. She takes her seat in the pew. When it's time for communion, she follows the crowd up front to the altar. And in her words, a woman put a piece of fresh bread in my hand, gave me a goblet of some rather nasty sweet wine. And I ate the bread. And I was completely thunderstruck by what I felt happening to me. So I stood there crying, completely unsure of what was happening. I got out of church as quickly as I could before some strange, creepy Christian would try to come and chat with me. (laughs) And I came back the next week because I was hungry. And I kept coming back and I kept coming back to take that bread. Today she works. For that same church, she runs a very large weekly food pantry where they actually feed the city's homeless and hungry. They have a meal, they hand out groceries, and they do it all from that actual communion table—the same one they they, they serve from on Sundays. She's written three religious books about her journey: "Take This Bread," "Jesus Freak," and "City of God." Her whole life, she had been hungry looking for something that she did not know what it was. And therein, of all places, a church, she found what she was looking for, an atheist, finding God in a church. And she walked in, and she took the bread, and she woke up. And she said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. Diana Butler Bass was a lifelong Christian, a thoroughbred herself, an Episcopalian. She, had a P, she has a PhD in religion. And one Sunday she was in church. And the guest preacher said something that was deeply offensive to her. She kind of moved around, shuffled in her seat, and she just kept stewing and stewing. And before she kind of burst out, she decided, I better leave. So quietly, without disturbing the service, she stepped outside to catch her breath, to calm down. And as she walked around the street in front of the church, she began to see people walking around. And the noise was a little louder than a normal Sunday. She began to follow the sounds of the crowd, walked around the corner, and there was more and more people. There was an art festival going on right outside the church. She had no idea. The street was full of people of all sorts, she writes. White, black, and brown, young and old, from a wide variety of ethnic backgrounds. Children were laughing and running up and down the streets. Neighbors greeted one another. The energy, the creativity, how wonderful it was. As I took in the scene, she says, I thought about that New Testament story in which during a street festival like this, the spirit of God descended on a crowd of magnificent diversity. She's talking about the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church, and just as she's reflecting, her cell phone buzzes. It's a text from her husband. Are you coming back to church, he texts. I don't know, she replies. And she says, it seemed obvious then, but I have no idea why I never noticed it before. For years, the church kept me safe inside the building all the while the spirit was out here on the street and she woke up stepping outside the church into the world and said surely the Lord is in this place I didn't know it (laughs) now I have told you before how I grew up in a church tradition that taught that we were the only ones who were going to heaven and we weren't sure we were all going there as it was We had God right, but as I got older, I was a good kid. I didn't rebel like most kids. I was a nerd. I rebelled religiously. I began to be curious about other expressions of faith, and none were more different than the church of my youth than the charismatic church. In college, I visited a church that spoke in tongues, that believed the Holy Spirit, the pastor of the church, called himself an apostle, and I found it kind of neat. He recommended a book called Surprise by God, and I read the book cover to cover. It was pretty thick, too, for a sophomore in college. The book said that if ordinary Christians would just pray harder, they would receive special gifts from the Holy Spirit. So I prayed. I prayed harder than I had ever prayed before. And I kept praying, and I went on long walks, and I would pray, and I would you know, try to speak in tongues, but nothing <laughs> ever happened. After I stopped praying, that's when I became surprised by God. But it wasn't by Holy Spirit gifts. It was in a way I never would have expected, something I certainly was not looking for. God blindsided me one day. I was just coming home from class, walking into my dorm room. My college roommate was there, and I cry every time I tell the story. Uh, But he was in the middle of a phone conversation. He was talking about a church. He was crying, talking to his mother about a church that he was supposed to work for that summer that had canceled their invitation for him to work there because they found out he was gay. And I overheard the conversation, and I had no idea. He never told me this before. We were roommates of all things. He'd actually come out to me on the phone, after he hung up, he said, Well, do we need to talk? And I guess I said, yes, we talked. I don't remember what we said, but that accidental moment in my dorm room on the seventh floor of a high-rise, stinky men's dorm, I woke up. One of the most profound moments of my life, my faith had taught me to run and shun, but my only impulse in that moment was to stay and to see what God was up to. I prayed for God to open my mouth to speak in some heavenly language, and instead God opened my heart and it completely changed my life. And there I woke up and I said, surely the Lord is in this place. I didn't even know it. Now, Jacob, Jacob was born a twin it has a story that's been told for generations. They were the grandsons of Abraham, the sons of Rebecca and Isaac. His brother Esau was born first and they pulled Esau out and they noticed when they pulled him out a hand grabbing his heel was another baby. They named the baby Jacob, which means not very profoundly, he'll <laughs> Jacob lived his life always on the heels of Esau. Jacob was jealous of Esau, for Esau, the firstborn, would get the birthright, the blessing from his father Isaac. He would get the inheritance, and Jacob, nothing. And so Jacob, along with his mother, conspired against his brother. One day he came to his elderly father who had been blinded with age and he pretended to be Esau. Yes, as Marty told us, Esau was a hairy man. And Jacob covered his body with animal fur, thick and hairy. And Esau touched his arm and knew, or sorry, uh, Isaac touched the arm and knew it was Esau. And that day he gave the wrong son the birthright. And once it was done, it could not be undone. And when Esau found out about it, he was angry and set out to kill his only brother. And Jacob fled for his life. He ran and ran and finally in exhaustion, he came to Haran and there he fell asleep. And some stories, some stories say that he laid his head on a stone as a pillow. But the wording in Hebrew is a little muddled there. It could mean that it was a stone as a pillow, but it could also mean it was a large stone that he hid behind. And he cuddled behind that large stone, scared for his life, but he had to sleep. And while he was sleeping in fear, he has this dream. In the dream, he sees a ladder, a ladder, a sort of stairway to heaven, and angels going up from the earth as if they were already there, and angels coming down as if they were replacing those returning to, the, to heaven. And there beside him in this dream appears God. And God says to Jacob, this conniver, this Thief, a man fleeing for his life. God says to him, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather, Abraham, of your father, Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and I will give it to your offspring and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south and all the families of earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised to do and then Jacob woke from his sleep and says surely the Lord was in this place I did not know it in the face of strangers and moments of loss and grief When we are running, when we lay down and let down our guard, when we step out of our comfort zone, when and where we least expect it among the people we least expect. Someone new, someone different, someone from another race, another faith, another sexual orientation, where we know God is not, God shows up and God blesses us. In that moment, like Jacob, we must build an altar to remember, and no matter the name of the place, we give it a new name. This is Bethel. This is the house of God. This is where God lives. Because right here in the midst of the world, when we least expect it among the people and places and experiences of our life where we never thought God would show up, God surprises us. May God continue to surprise us, showing up where we don't expect Surprising us in our lives, in our moments, when we're the most off guard, when we're not looking, but God shows up. He changes our lives, and we must proclaim, surely the Lord is in this place, and we didn't know it. Amen? Yes. Amen. I'm going to pull a fast one on our organist. We sang earlier uh, number 112, Holy Ground. But you didn't know it. You didn't sing it. We're going to sing it again (laughs) as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. Number one, one, two, holy ground.